My name is Ricky Spindler, and I'm the lead pastor here, and it's just a, a, a privilege uh, to be with you today. At the end of every service, uh, you'll often find me in the lobby as our pastors and elders remain here to pray. And I do that because uh, I just want to be approachable. If you're newer here and you want to introduce yourself to me, I'd love to meet you. I'll be out in the lobby afterwards. It'd be my privilege uh, to meet you. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn uh, to Matthew 7. And if you have your devices, you can open them up as well. I I'll encourage you, uh, if you haven't downloaded our app, Stone Creek Church app, I encourage you to do that. All the notes I preach from are in there. All the updates is the best way to stay up to date on what we're doing. I'll say when you download it, though, just make sure you click the one in Urbana, not the one in Wisconsin, the Stone Creek Church in Wisconsin, or you're going to be really confused if you do that. Two things before we dive into the message today. Uh, first is this. Don't forget, September the 4th, we are uh, making room in our services uh, for more people. So we're adding an 8 o'clock on our other side of our, our facilities here in the cafe side. So at 8 o'clock, and then we'll do a 9 o'clock in here, a 10.30 online, and then an 11 o'clock in-person service back in here. So that'll be happening on September the 4th. Second thing is, we are truly uh, try to be a praying church. We don't want it to be built around a person or personality. And so we, we pray. Uh, we take Jesus at his word. My house will be called a house of prayer. And so at the beginning of every semester, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And then also we start back our Wednesday prayer meetings. And so they are 6.30 in the morning, 12 noon, and 6.30 at night every Wednesday. And uh, I would say this, if you have to pick between Wednesday and Sunday, pick Wednesday. I'd rather you come to a prayer meeting than a Sunday morning service, and I truly mean that. So again, if you'd like to, that's uh, on Wednesdays. I, that's why we're talking about the topic of prayer. Every semester I like to highlight this concept of prayer, the spiritual discipline of prayer, to move us and remind us of the importance of prayer personally and corporately. It reminds me of a story of a father and a son. The son, about eight, nine years old, asked his dad for a bicycle. His dad wanted to teach his son a lesson. Says, son, <clears throat> if you pray, God will meet your needs and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So the eight, nine-year-old boy says, listen, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and God's going to give me a bicycle. Couldn't wait for the bedtime because he was going to pray. And he prayed and asked God, dear Jesus, give me a bicycle. Next morning, he gets up, goes into the garage, opens the door because he knew if God was going to give him a bicycle, it's going to be in the garage. <laughs> opens the garage door, ah, no bicycle. Undeterred. The next four nights, the same sequence prays. Dear God, give me a bicycle. No bicycle. Goes to the garage. Oh, it's not there. So now the boy says, listen, I got to taking things to a whole other level. Goes to grandma's house. Grandma, he notices when there, has a, a uh, figurine, if you will, of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so the young boy gets an idea. He waits till grandma goes to bed, sneaks out and takes the figurine of, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, wraps it delicately and puts it in a shoebox and hides it out of sight. Then he goes back up to his bedroom and kneels down beside the bed and says these words, dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, <laughs> give me the bicycle. I love that. Isn't that awesome? 
holding uh, the mother of Jesus hostage for a bicycle. Don't you wish prayer was that easy? Come on. But uh, the fact remains is that he realized that there needed to be a different urgency and he needed to take his prayer to a whole other level in order to get what he perceived that he wanted. Jesus talks about the degrees of prayer, the levels of prayer at the end of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. This is the end of his greatest sermon ever preached, I would say. He's outlining the kingdom and he, he talks once again about the importance of prayer. And he says this, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks will find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened for them. So Jesus gives us three metaphors, three pictures, if you will, for us to explore this uh, concept of prayer, ask, seek, knock, and they build on one another. And so uh, asking prayer is the beginning of our life of prayer, and it is often a need that drives you and I towards God. It is out of our desperation for something to be changed that often brings us to the altar of prayer. It's a provision. It's a sickness. It's a deliverance. It's an answer. It's a direction. And God, I don't know what to do, so help me. That's not a bad thing, asking prayer to petition him. But we can't stop at that level of prayer because if we only live there, the danger is that we will make God into an idol, one that we can manipulate to fulfill our selfish ambitions. We have to be really careful of that. So asking prayer has to move into what we call seeking prayer. And this is, uh, if one was petition, this one is devotion. This means that my prayer goes from a what I'm asking God for to a whom I'm being with. I see beyond the need to the God beyond it who's able to meet all of my needs. And so it's more of a worshipful expression. But even then, there is another level of prayer that Jesus talks about, and that is knocking prayer. Because there will come a moment in your Christian life as you live it out where there will be opposition, there will be obstacles, there will be uh, uh, spiritual boundaries to limit you that the enemy will put in place. And the only way for you to do that is you have to, through prayer, knock the door down. You have to knock the obstacle out of the way. This knocking prayer, I think a, a way we could say it is intercessory prayer is probably a a theological word we would use. And that's where we would say is, I have God who has all power. I see a need that is at work in circumstances, situations, and in people's lives. And I become the conduit through my prayer, or I become the bridge through my prayers by which the kingdom of God will move through me into those situations. And we, we, at that moment, we become uh, filling in the gap that we see. And so what I want to do is I want to just show you that this idea of ask, seek, knock is is something that is in the Old Testament and in the New. Because the Bible says we are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. We're a kingdom of priests. That's how he describes Christians and the Christian church. He's borrowing from the Old Testament priest who had specific functions. They had three functions. They had to wait on the Lord. They had specific daily things that they had to do to maintain proper relationship and make sure that needs that were met. Then they had to worship. Uh, They had festivals that they were to turn the hearts and remind the people of their consecration before the Lord. And then the last one 
is they were warfare. They were the ones in the Bible when the enemy would invade the nation. They were the ones who sounded the trumpet and called the nation to war. So in that place right there, you see waiting is asking prayer. Worship is seeking prayer. And warfare is knocking prayer. It was Jesus borrowing from that. And now I want to draw your attention to 1 Peter. And this is where we'll spend the rest of our time because I'm drawing parallels here of ask, seek, and knock, the three levels of prayer. And then you see it show up again in Peter here where he is speaking to the leaders of a church. He is a disciple of Jesus, an apostle of the faith. This church is in intense persecution. And in his final conclusion here, he gives allusion to, he alludes to seek, ask, and knock. He says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I want to just show you the seek, ask, knock in here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. That's worshipful prayer. That's seeking. Then it says, cast all your cares, all your anxieties upon him. That's asking prayer. But then it says this, be alert, sober-minded, because the enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And it says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. And that what I would say would be knocking prayer. I want to talk to you about principles of knocking prayer. Now, before I do that, though, I have to have some... Let me give some thoughts on the devil. I don't want to underemphasize him, but I don't want to overemphasize him. But there are some things you need to know. Number one, when it comes to the devil, is this, is that people are never your enemy. The devil is your enemy. I know you may think your mother-in-law your father-in-law, your parents, your coach, your, your, your teacher in one of your, your classes this semester is the devil incarnate. But I'll just say this, the people are not your enemy. But that doesn't mean the devil can't use people. But ultimately, the spiritual force at work behind that is the devil. And keep that in mind because you'll pray differently and you'll treat people differently, if you remember that. Here's another one. The devil, when you read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, seems to gain power over time. Don't underestimate the devil. Don't pick a fight with the devil. The devil is an incredibly powerful entity that will only gain and strengthen power as we approach the end times and wait for Jesus' return. Because he starts out in Genesis as a snake. Then he's here in 1 Peter as a lion. But in Revelation, he's a fire-breathing dragon. He went from a a snake, a venomous snake, to a roaring lion, to a fire-breathing dragon in Revelations. But there's a wonderful verse that you see here in Psalms 91. I'm going to read it in the King James, just because I like a little King James every once in a while. It says, Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, which is a snake, and the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample underneath your feet. There it is. All three expressions, lion, snake, and dragon, all underneath and submitted to the Christ follower. 
that no matter when, this is the last thought when it comes to the devil, even if you feel right now you're dealing with a devil, or the dragon, the most powerful whatever enemy you can think of, you're dealing with him, just know this, even that is underneath your feet. And that's worth a clap or an amen or something right there. So how do we, how do we, what do I keep in mind when it comes to intercessory prayer? What are some things I need to know? And I'm going to give you three words that you need to know, and, and, and then we'll close. The first is this. I'll give you all three, and then I'll go back. Intersection, intervention, and interception. So intersection, like two roads intersecting intervention, like intervening in a situation, and then interception, like I've intercepted a football in the game of American football, interception. So we're going to go back and we'll go from the beginning, and they're all three in this text when it comes to knocking prayer. First intersection, it says, be alert and sober-minded. Be alert, and this is the mindset that we are to have. There is a watchfulness required to the Christian life. Because there's a lion on the loose. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to become the next meal of the lion. This is be alert, be watchful, be sober-minded, because there is a lion at work, your enemy, the devil. When it comes to intersection, as you live the Christian life, be watchful because in relationships, situations, and circumstances in people's lives that you work with, that you live with, and in your communities that you live, on, on your dorm room, um, in the ministries that you're a part of, you are going to see over time the work of the lion. How do you know it's the work of the devil? Simple. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Anytime you see thievery and loss, death and destruction, listen, you know for sure that the devil ultimately is behind that. And we have to be watchful and aware of it. Now, here's what 2 Corinthians 2 says this. We are not ignorant of his devices. He's speaking in terms of the devil. We can't afford to be ignorant of it. The number one way that the devil works against Christ followers, actually I'd say there's two ways, deceitfulness and discouragement. The two greatest weapons. I will speak to deceitfulness. The number one way the devil wants to destroy you, you see this in the Garden of Eden when he shows up with Eve. Did God really say this? He will deceive you. This is a master at this, Proverbs 14, 12. It says there's a way that seems right, but the end of that way is death. You know how the devil works? He gets you going down a path with no consequences, but he'll never show you the end. He will never show you the end. He'll get you caught up in the present, but wisdom always looks to the future. That's why the Bible tells us all the way through. It tells us the end from the beginning, revelations. He'll show you how it's going to end up. There's wisdom, but the devil never shows you that. He gets you moving down a path, and then you never even think about the end. You know, I was in being aware, not ignorant of the the devil's devices. Uh, Two years ago, I was in Kenya, uh, part of Stone Creek, doing some work. Uh, amongst some pastors, retreats, and different things. And then one of the last days, we went on safari, which was awesome. And we had some locals take us there, and we were just driving in this open-top bus through uh, the, the terrain. And we had to actually, we 
came upon a, a, a lioness in the middle of a hunt with a Nyala antelope. And you should have seen this happening. I mean, all the different uh, tour groups were there. And we're watching this take place. And I'm telling you that Nyala antelope just chewing, just living life, loving life. And then all of a sudden you could see, they couldn't see it, but we could see it on the other side of the grass coming down the path. Crouched in the grass was this lioness. And every time this little Nyala would look away, she'd move forward. And then you see the Nyala. She'd look away. And every time, it just kept getting closer and closer because that's how a lion works. Because though it's incredibly powerful, it doesn't have much endurance. And it tries to get as close to ambush so that it can prevent it from speeding away and so it can exert its power over it by deceiving it, not thinking it's really there and destroying it. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what the enemy does in our lives. He keeps moving and moving and moving closer. There's a verse in Genesis in Cain and Abel where it says this, did you not know that sin was crouching at your door? And it's this picture of a lion getting ready to pounce. At any moment, it gets so close and it overwhelms you and overcomes you. Intersection. So you have to be on the lookout on where the enemies at work in your spouse, in your children, in your classroom, on your team, on your floor, all these different things, you're watching. And then what you can do, when you see something, you go to this place we call intervention. Because the Bible says we are to resist him. Wow. I am called to resist the lion. I am called, that word means to oppose. I, I'm refusing to comply to this. Or I'll say it in modern vernacular, not on my watch. As I'm watching, I am to resist the devil. Uh, the Homeland Security, after 2001, when 9-11 happened, Homeland Security was created. And their mantra, you can go to their website, it's still on the front of that today, it's this, if you see something, you say something. If you see something that don't look right, you have to report it and say something. I want to borrow that in spiritual terms. It's not enough just to see it you got to take it to the place of intercessory prayer, and i got to say something. So when I see something down here, I begin to have a conversation. I begin to say something this way. But many of us, here's the deceitfulness of the enemy, is we will weaponize our faith, and we will limit our conversation to a horizontal reality and blast it all on Facebook and tell everybody why they're wrong. And we have very little conversation this way. And if you would have more conversation this way, God would deal with people this way. Am I right? I know you feel like your post is going to change the world. It's not. But if you would see something and say something, listen, that's when you begin to actively, through your prayers, resist the devil. Now, I'll say it like this. Apostle Paul alludes to this introducing a leader, Epaphras, in Colossians chapter 4. He says he's one of you. He's a servant of Christ Jesus. He sends you greetings. Here's what it says. Listen to this, guys. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers. Man, when I read that, I highlighted that because he's saying, 
I, when I pray, I'm wrestling. And, and the word that he uses there is agonizomai. It's the Greek word, agonizomai. He is agonizomai in his prayers. That's where we get the word agonizing. He is in agony over your situation. He's in agony over what's going on with you. And he's wrestling with God to be at work against the enemy on your behalf. Can I just tell you, in the Bible, it always mattered who prayed. When the nation was in trouble and the king was praying, man, God was doing something. If, if things were happening and the prophets were praying, God was doing something. If the pastors were praying, God was doing something. Listen, it matters who prays. If you are any degree of influence that you have, if you are a parent, it matters that you're praying. If you're married, it matters that you're praying for your spouse. If you're a teacher, listen, it matters. As you are in the authority position over that classroom, it matters when you pray for your students. It matters who prays in the Bible. And I would just say this, at the end of our time today, we always open up this place for prayer at the end, to stay for worship and pray. Listen, some of you need to go get your kids, and you need to come back here, humble yourself, and let a pastor or elder pray for you and your children for this next semester. College students, listen, don't start another semester. There's a lion on the loose out there. You come and just humble yourself and have prayer over you for another semester. Intervention, I'm going to resist him. And then the next one is interception. It is standing firm in the faith. I got to resist him, but it tells me how I'm to do it. I'm to stand firm in the faith. If you think of in terms, interception, in terms of American football, you have an offense and a defense, and the offense is trying to move and take ground from the defense, and the defense is trying to stand firm and prevent the offense from moving forward. But something happens when the defense intercepts the football. What happens is, is that they automatically go to offense. And now the offense has to play defense. Your relationship with God will take on new meaning when you move from a defensive posture to an offensive posture. It's, I'm not just trying to survive and just trying to make it and just trying to stay safe and just trying to knock all this stuff on me. I'm just, no, no, no. Those days are done for me. I'm taking the football possession of it and now I'm moving back and taking territory from the enemy. I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm going to grow in my maturity. I'm going to grow in my purity and my holiness. I'm going to, wherever I see the enemy, I'm going to move towards him. But it says, listen, how do you do that? You have to stand firm in your faith. You know what that word means? Stand firm in your convictions. Something that you're so convinced of, that you've already settled it in your mind and your heart, this is where I stand. I'm willing to die for this, and I'm willing to fight for this. And listen, we are living in an age where we're moving, where we're making preferences convictions. And that's not good. We need to be people who are deeply rooted in our theological convictions. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus died and was buried and resurrected on the third day. And the Bible says he is seated in heavenly places. And here's the kicker. Jesus invites me to sit with him in a spiritual context over, heavenly, over the principalities and works of the enemy. So you know what that means? Whenever we engage in knocking prayer, we are never fighting for victory. 
It's already been purchased and won for us through the person of Jesus. We're just applying it to the situation. So let me say it like this. The number one selling book of all time outside of the Bible is Pilgrim's Progress. It is an allegory, metaphor of the Christian life. If you've never read it, you should try to read it. It is the center character is Christian, representative of all of us. And Christian has a whole lot of things that he's overcoming and mountains and valleys. And, and he's moving his way towards the porter's lodge. And he's close to the porter's lodge. The porter who's keeping the lodge can see him and he's come a long way. But yet it seems as if the enemy's greatest test, the enemy's greatest work is at the very end as he's closest to his destination to get refreshed, renewed. And what Christian realizes is that there's a narrowing of the past. There's a narrow gate that he has to pass through. And on both sides of that, he sees it, he hears it, are two lions. And when he sees it and hears the roar of the two lions for the first time, he stops. And he's getting ready to turn back. And the porter sees it. And the porter, realizing that he's getting ready to leave, that he's overwhelmed with fear, yells this out to him before he turns around. Don't worry about the lions because the lions are on a leash. And hearing that gives him enough courage to keep moving forward. Now listen, he's moving forward. The lion's roaring in the ear. He can, so close you can feel the breath of the lion. You can smell that stink breath. And it's closer than it's ever been. But the realization that though he's close, the lion is rendered powerless because it's on a leash. And he begins to walk taller, straighter. He begins to move with boldness and confidence. Realize there's a limit to the enemy's power. And the lion is on a leash. Here's how Colossians says that. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers, meaning Jesus, and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them, speaking of the enemy, on the cross. I must encourage you. Listen, guys, look this way. There is a lion. He wants to devour you. But listen. Title of the message today, the lions are on a leash. Leashed lions. I have a spiritual mentor and just somebody that I've followed for years and had the privilege of meeting a few times. When it comes to knocking prayer, I'm going to quickly give you these and just write them down again. They're on the notes. I just think pastorally this is good advice and then we'll close. When it comes to knocking prayer, warfare prayer, somebody else's life, the enemy's against you. First thing you always do is this. Find a scripture verse that fits your case. Find a verse of scripture. Listen, with one verse of scripture through prayer, you can destroy the gates of hell. I mean, give me one verse that speaks to my situation. You pray that to the Lord. You can move against the enemy. Get a verse. If you're sick, find one on healing. If you're lost, find one about direction. If you're in bondage, find one about how he sets the oppressors free. Come on. Find some verse that speaks to your situation. Number two, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with power. The Bible says in Romans 8 that he helps us in our weaknesses. That means when you've picked up to your own ability of the log, that the Holy Spirit gets on the other side and does what you can't do and lifts up the other side. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Next is stand your ground, even if it takes a long time. Listen, the devil's been at war with the things of God for thousands of years. 
you may have to fight a battle more than a week. You may feel like you've got to hijack Jesus' mama. Come on. You, you may have to pray a month, two months, three months, a year, sometimes decades. But you stand your ground even if it takes a long time. Next one, reject every voice that tries to make you fear. If there's a narrative of insecurity, inadequacy, if there's a narrative that seems to be hijacking your faith that's always rooted in fear, that's not the voice of God. It's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's not the voice of timidity and fear. Ask God to silence that voice in your life. Next is relax. Relax behind the mighty shield of faith. The Bible says that it's called the shield of faith. One of the, the armor of God. It says it has, which has the ability to quench all the fiery darts of the, the wicked one, the enemy. I love that it speaks in terms of our faith like that because those shields were the size to cover a man in battle. That you could have all kinds of arrows and spears going around you and you could stand up behind the shield knowing that nothing could penetrate it. Some of you need to hear that. You're, you have, if you put your faith in Jesus and his word, listen, you have a shield about you and you can relax and in difficult situations and not be filled with fear. The next and last one is this, and this one may not make sense, but it says, be sure your conscience feels clean and strong. And the Bible says in Timothy, we wage warfare against the enemy with a clean and clear conscience. And the conscience is the place where they hear the whispers of the Holy Spirit and feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you, if your conscience isn't clean, you largely won't pray because you feel guilty. You feel unworthy. But maybe the gift that you could give yourself knocking prayer is this, is God can erase the condemnation of your past. And you can stand before him with a clean and clear conscience that you've forgiven and repented before him. And that is one of the greatest weapons you could ever have against the enemy. And I leave with this. There was a story out of uh, a safari where a couple from the United States went to um, a safari, booked a week-long safari. And their first day, they're looking at all the animals. And it's one of those ones where you camp out in a tent, Serengeti, out there in the middle of nowhere. And they were told, whatever you do, don't let the fire go out at night. So at night, they have a, a fire that they make, bonfire, huge fire, and they go to sleep. And somehow in the middle of the night, that fire went down. And a lioness came in and dragged the wife out and killed her. And here's what they told them that I think is incredible, incredible for us to learn today, is this, when the fire goes out, the lions will move in. When the fire goes out, the lions move in. Listen to that. Do you know the greatest way to make sure the enemy never sets foot against you, never wreaks havoc in your life, never has authority and control over you? You know how? To keep the fire of the Holy Spirit burning bright in you. Don't let that fire grow out. If you let that fire die, the enemy will sneak in and start to still kill and destroy and to take from you. But if you'll keep that relationship with God alive and vibrant, listen, some of your college students went away this summer and you did things, said things, and you're coming back today to start another semester, get on fire. Light that fire again. I can just see in my mind's eye, 
blowing on hot coals to get them to catch on fire again this morning as we close. So as we close today, let's stand. We always make room at the end of our services to pray and to worship the Lord. And as always, I just ask that, just be respectful, but I'm going to ask all of us, if you're willing and able, would you bow your heads, close your eyes. It's now the place of prayer. It's now your moment to hear from God and for you to talk to Him. I'm going to ask you to put your hands out in front of your palms up as a sign of your humility or lift your hands to the Lord. Some people love to do that. That's fine. But we're going to do some knocking prayer in a moment, intercessory prayer. Before we do that, we have to address some things in the room. The Bible says this, that we must submit to God and then resist the devil. And I encourage you, if you're here and you've never surrendered or submitted your life to him, I want you to think about your life figuratively is in your hands right now. And you need to give it to him. If you've never done that, you've never prayed a prayer of salvation or made Jesus the Lord of your life, you can surrender and submit to him right now. Come into alignment underneath his power and his authority to forgive you and cleanse you. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer of salvation right there. Your words, not in your head and your heart, but with your mouth now. Pray and invite Jesus to save you. You're coming to faith in Jesus. Now I'm speaking to the other. You guys keep praying, but now I'm speaking to the second group. You're already in Christ, but there's some things that you need to do before we do intercessory prayer. And the first one is a clean conscience. Now I'm going to invite you to pray here. Come on, talk to the Lord. You may need a cleansing of your conscience. You've done things, said things, watched things, entertained things. And don't start, don't go another day, another week without making things right with the Lord. Right there, you're in a, listen, he is quick to forgive. He is long-suffering with you. His grace and mercy are available to you right now. Repent and make things right with the Lord. Get a clear conscience. Have a conversation right now. Maybe right now you need to just silence the voice of the enemy. It's been a voice of fear and anxiety. It's been the underlying narrative, the dominating narrative even sometimes. Ask him to silence the voice of the enemy, the roar of the lion. Silence it. No longer timidity and fear, but of love, power, and a sound. I put a different spirit in me. Now I'm just going to humbly ask you, before we petition, intercede. Would you just ask for the Holy Spirit now to fill you? Come on. Holy Spirit, fill my life. Holy Spirit, come. I need your help. I need your power. I surrender. I submit to it. Now I just want us to take one minute, see something, say something. This is where the kingdom of God begins to move through you into situations where you see the enemy at work. I want you to pray now. Where do you see it? Where do you see the enemy at work? 
marriage, in your children, your grandchildren, in your classroom? Where do you see it? In your neighborhood? If you don't see it, say, Holy Spirit, open my eyes. But if you do see it, say something now. Say something to the Lord. Say, God, would you step in and begin to heal that? Pray for them by name. God, I pray that you deliver them. Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you came to destroy the works of Satan. I ask you to destroy his plans over their life right now. Come on, this is moving your prayer from ask to seek, seek to knock now. That obstacle, that thing that's been inhibiting and, 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 and been the thing, the boundary that you've never been able to break through. Pray now. Jesus, you say that your name is above all names. That every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. I just speak your name over this situation and this person. Come on, it matters who prays. If you've got children, pray for your children. If you've got grandchildren, pray for your grandchildren. If you've got a spouse, pray for your spouse right now. Just lift them up. Come on, you're interceding right now. Lord, I just pray. For those that are being saved today, I pray the power of the Holy Spirit seal their salvation. Let them know they're a son or a daughter of God. Lord, I pray those that have prayed, just renew consciences, refill them, establish convictions. And Lord, I pray on my own heart, ignite the fire, the flame of the Holy Spirit in me and in this church. And Lord, the greatest deterrent, Lord, I pray, set us on fire for you. Keep the enemy at bay. Not on my watch, not in my home, not in my church, not in my community. Not in my neighborhood gathering, not in my ministry, not on my floor, not on my ministry team, whatever. Not in my small group. Listen. Come. Rule and reign. We give you praise. Now let's remain standing as we worship the Lord. I'm just going to ask you one more time as a sign of your humility. Just let's lift our hands all the way up. And now let's just sing this great are you Lord verse of this as we close.